0: Today's reading is from John 164 b through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the, church, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You may be seated. Thanks, Brennan.
1: Surprise, it's me again. Hello. If you are newer to our Sunday gatherings, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. So you can go ahead and turn there now. We've been working through John since August 2020. It's crazy. We're currently in chapter 16, and today we're covering verses 4 through 15 as we read. Now, these verses we're going to talk about are some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. And I think they're really starting to get that now, that these are some of his last words, last words. The tone in the room or wherever they were when he said this would have been probably one of sadness, confusion, and loss because Jesus is saying gently but repeatedly that he's going away. He's going away, and he's going away soon. Their beloved teacher and friend Jesus is leaving. And they aren't sure how yet, they aren't sure exactly when, but they are sure they don't want to lose him. They don't want him to go. The mission that they all signed up for doesn't feel quite done yet, like at all. It feels like it's just getting started. And here he is saying, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. Now, really what's going on here is Jesus is repeating part of his new commandment given at the Last Supper back at the end of chapter 13, if you remember when we went through that. And we'll look at more of of that part towards the end of our time together. But our title and topic today is, What the Spirit Does. What the Spirit Does. Now, two things I want you to hear and be reminded of, because Pastor Frank got into this two weeks ago. Here's some of the things he was getting into. Um, He talked about that on the 24th of October. But first, here's what I want you to hear right away. First, God's Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, or my favorite, the Holy Ghost is not just a New Testament idea. The Spirit of God is all throughout Scripture, cover to cover, and His work is from the very beginning of the age through today and will continue to the end of the age. Second thing I want you to hear right away about the Spirit, we need to talk about the Spirit because He is so often misunderstood. He's either overemphasized or underemphasized in us as believers and in parts of the Western church more broadly. So we need to study who he is in scriptures like ours today, because we need reminders of the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is, and like our title says, what he does. Now, many of you remember Pastor Frank's, uh, a couple of his points was when he talked about the spirit as our paraclete, do you remember him using that word? He talked about Paraclete, the implication there is that the Spirit is our comforter in times of affliction and suffering and trials. He's our advocate, a defender before God against the accusations of sin and Satan. And the last thing Frank covered was he's he's our helper. He gives us discernment to keep our hearts from sin, to embrace God's way and God's wisdom instead of our own or the world's. So Pastor Frank is preaching in Peoria. I should have said that earlier. Uh, He's preaching in Peoria. We are excited to be able to share him over there, and we look forward to him coming back. So with all that said, let's get into our verses today, and before we do, let's pray. Spirit, we pray now that you would awaken our eyes and our hearts to hear your word, Um, And then in response, God, help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. So Spirit, please um, convict in us ways that we need to um, adapt and change and grow and repent and all these good things. And so we pray, God, that that the words that are shared from your word, God, and my words as well, that whatever is not from you, God, let it just fall away and be forgotten and God, whatever is from you, let it remain, let us consider it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to read the first section, verse 4b to verse through verse 7. Now Jesus is mid-thought here, we'll talk about that in a sec, but here's what he says. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So first, right away in verse four, what are these things? What's he referring to? Well, Jesus is probably referring both broadly to his, like all of his teachings, but here more specifically he's speaking about the persecution that awaits both he and his followers in the future. That's, that's what he's getting at in verses one through three. We talked a little bit about that last week. Remember, they'll put you out of the synagogues. What are our modern day synagogues? You might remember us talking about that last week. But he said these things, this is what he says, so that when their hour comes... You may remember that I told him. Notice the language here. When their hour comes. Do you see how even here Jesus is showing his power and sovereignty over all things? Right away. You can even word this like Jesus is saying, when the time that I allotted for them comes, then, then you'll be persecuted. I've said these things so that when their hour comes. Church, be encouraged that... Although we may not get answers for why this or that happens, no matter how difficult it is, we can have assurance that nothing happens outside of God's control. And I know, looking at you, how hard that is to say, how hard that is to receive. But everything happens under the ultimate sovereign rule of God, as difficult as that is, and his providential working. Even his own death and the impending suffering of his followers. That's what he's getting at here. When their hour comes. Notice too, the next part. So when their hour comes, you may remember. Jesus is leaving soon. They're going to have to make their own decisions soon. It's time for the little birds to fly and try it on their own. And like a proud father, he's hoping that they just remember some of what he spent the last three years talking about. Just like a little bit of it. Try to remember it. And many fathers and mothers here can relate to that one, I'm sure. But he's not like a good father. He's not going to leave them alone. He's going to send a helper. Now, we'll take a closer look at what's going on in verse 6 about their sorrow. We'll do that next week because it's going to unpack more of how Jesus will turn the sorrow of the disciples into joy. So look forward to that. But look again at verse 7. They're sad because he's leaving. But look at why he says he has to leave. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, here's the why, the Helper will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. And they're probably thinking, well, how? Like, how is that better? How, how could the Spirit possibly be better than having you here in the flesh with us? And many of you might have rela- related last week when Pastor Frank shared Um, how many times we just think, oh man, if Jesus would just appear to me, um, if if I could have seen him in the flesh, I would have believed. And the answer is, no, you wouldn't. Because there were other people who saw him in the flesh and didn't believe, right? Well, it seems like Jesus' answer to that would be the same now as it is then, that we're actually better off now without him here in the flesh. We're better off now with the Spirit. Well, Jesus answers the next natural question of how. How could it be better in the next verses? So let's go ahead and read 8 through 12 of John. And when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, first, oh wait, let me finish that last verse. Okay, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Don't you just like hate that? I have many good things to say and they will blow your mind. But uh, I'm not just not going to tell you right now. You're like, tell me. I want to know. Tell me. Well, that word that he uses there, you cannot bear them now. You could easily translate it carry or endure. You can't carry these things now. Clearly, there's something more Jesus could tell them, but chosen not to for whatever reason. Now, many people have built, have claimed this verse and even built entire religions on verses like this where they assume what Jesus is probably referring to. Right? The LDS church, which is not, I don't know who needs to hear this, but they're not a Christian thing. They believe in a totally non-biblical Jesus it's a different faith. They would use verses like this to make a claim on the authenticity of the golden tablet revelations, right? Because Jesus is saying, look, I, I have more to say. They would claim, well, here's, here's what he meant. Here's what he had to say. Well then, so if it's not that, then if we can't fill in the blank, what is he referring to? Well, if you, keep, if you do good biblical study and you keep this verse in its context and in light of the rest of scripture, Most commentators think it's pretty clear. Just think, think of the the wonderful revelations in the history of the church since this moment. In the New Testament alone, the Spirit-enabled church began a movement that now includes you and I here on the other side of the world. They could have never imagined that. It probably would have broken their brains, hence you can't bear it now, it'd break your brain. Think of what was revealed to Peter about clean and unclean foods and how that changed everything. Think of Paul's work on circumcision and including non-Jews into the family of God. Even the Trinity, which we sang about, praise the Father, Son, and Spirit, which again in this passage is is rich, we noticed it last week too. The, The doctrine of the Trinity was a gradual realization it seems like, in the church. But seeing references here to the beautifully connected workings of the persons of the Trinity is a a wonderful thing. And I would love to take a rabbit trail right here and just let's just talk about the the Trinity. But I'll just say this. If you've heard us talk about the Trinity last week and we sang about it this morning, um, and you want to know more about God's important and beautiful work in the world through the Trinity... I can't recommend enough uh, Michael Reeves' book, Delighting in the Trinity. Yeah, here it is. I mean, you want a really good look at the working and the beauty of the Trinity, this is a a go-to resource for me. Um, It's an approachable book, it's easy enough to read, it's not like a thousand pages long, although that doctrine could be, Wayne Grudem's probably written a thousand pages on it too. All right, so let's take a closer look at the jobs given here, because we got a lot of important revelation about how the Spirit is going to work, and I want to make sure we don't miss that. So first, in verse 8, his overall job, ready? And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So overall, his job is to convict the world, and then we get John's three-part sermon. It's just laid out there for us concerning righteousness and judgment and sin. Bam, done. But think about, is that how you would describe the Spirit? Like if someone who wasn't a Christian said, who is the Holy Spirit? How would you describe him? You, would you say, well, I mean, he's going to convict the world concerning sin and, and righteousness and judgment. And they'd go, huh? Okay, okay, that's, that's what he's going to do. And even if, you, even if you look where Jesus is clarifying it, 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 it doesn't seem to help without digging into it a little deeper. But the first one um, concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Well, it might help to first. Let's just bring clarity to what exactly is meant by his bigger job here to convict. What do we mean by conviction? How, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, Frank talked about this too. He introduced the idea of to convict in this sense is to reveal or convince in a personal sense. So the spirit is going to reveal or convince the world of these things. So for those who haven't been a Christian, for those who have been a Christian for a while, see as we read these, see if this resonates with you. Uh, And the Spirit's work in your heart over time. So first in verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So when we think about that, the root of all sin is unbelief. The Spirit-filled believer will become more and more deeply convinced of this truth. And be compelled towards deeper belief. Deeper belief. Second in verse 10, concerning righteousness. Here's how Jesus clarifies that. Because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Is that an interesting way to clarify how the Spirit will convict of righteousness? But here's what he's getting at. The Spirit-filled believer is increasingly convinced that any righteousness to be had comes from the risen Lord Jesus, who is with the Father, not because of any righteousness of our own. And the seasoned Christians in the room are going, yeah, 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 I know that. That's true. And third, look at verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The spirit will convince you of, and find more and more hope in the impending judgment over sin, Satan, and death. And it it builds a longing in us for that day. As we grow in the spirit, we see the brokenness around us. And that leads us to hope in this final judgment. Now, I read the message translation from time to time. Um, it was written by Eugene Peterson. And it kind of can get a bad rap, but I'm going to I'm gonna try to address that, okay? The message is really helpful. I love it if you read it devotionally and maybe don't build all your doctrine on exactly how he words it, right? Eugene Peterson was a pastor in a small town. He was a poet and he takes, I think we can just say some poetic license in his, uh, his translation. But here's how the message translates this specific section. And this might help bring even more clarity to how the spirit works. This is what it says. When he, the spirit comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. And that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. Doesn't that help clarify what the Spirit does? Maybe you're looking at that and going, well, that's great. Why don't we just read the message all the time, it's way clearer. Well, here's just one example why. In just a couple verses, in verse 17, uh, not in our text of today, but just by way of example, here's how the message translates verse 17. Now that stirred up a hornet's nest of questions among the disciples. (laughs) Okay, like I get what he's going for, but I don't think you'll get very far building a theology of hornet's nests based on the message translation. I I don't think you're gonna get very far, but anyway. So what we've learned in this section so far is that the spirit will convince the world concerning the truth of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's better, I even feel like uncomfortable saying this, but it's better than what Jesus could do because he was limited in being fully man. The disciples had the benefit of his presence, but there's no way we would, as he hops on a plane and then anyway. But the Spirit has exploded the work of God to all corners of the world, to include you and I here today. This is what the Spirit does. This is how the Spirit works. The person of the Spirit is actively involved in the world doing these things. You see, to some, God is like a watchmaker. Have you heard this analogy? He's involved in creation. He's building it like a finely tuned watch. But once he winds it up and lets it go, it just runs, more or less, he's more or less uninvolved. Maybe he's busy doing other things. And broadly speaking, the American spirituality is fine with that idea. It feels easy and acceptable today to believe in some sort of all-powerful yet distant God. That, that wouldn't get much pushback at all. And by the way, for any Marvel fans in here, is that not the exact drama of the stuff they've been putting out lately, of their show and their movie? The drama of the show, like What If, for example, and, and Eternals, the drama of that is that a, a previously uninvolved godlike figure is now interceding. <gasps> Whoa, he's like involved now. Crazy. That is the drama, that's the whole point. And the creation narratives alone in these shows lately has been fascinating. We have literally Babylonian and Assyrian creation myths. The actual characters from those ancient stories are named in these movies. It just feels like they're collecting any worldview except except the Christian one. Mention the name Jesus in those and whoa, 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 you crossed the line. Too far. But isn't that Jesus' whole point from last week? That on account of his name, you will be cast out, even may be killed. And Christians already know this plotline of an all powerful God who broke into the world and is now working all things together for good in the hearts of believers, primarily now through his spirit. Uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem was one of my seminary professors, and he says this of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus ascended into heaven and continuing through the entire church age, the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. He is the one most prominently present with us now. Because God's not just the watchmaker. He's the Spirit giver. He's ruling as king in his already here but not yet fully realized kingdom on earth. And so, as a loving father, he gives us his very spirit to reside in us, to work providentially through us in the world. Let's read verses 13 and 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The spirit of truth. This is a common name for God's spirit, the spirit of truth. We could all use a little extra guidance these days into all truth. Can we? Truth is a hard thing. It's it's hard to know for sure when you have it, and it's hard to see clearly when you don't. We're told here that the Spirit is one of truth, like capital T truth. He speaks truth, he compels belief in truth. So, okay, so what is it? What what's the truth that he's speaking? The truth being talked about here is the Bible. It's the Bible. How do we know that? Because you can look back, I think it's in our verses today, but you can look back in 1526 and see what it says there. The Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father and bears witness about Jesus. And Jesus himself is the Word. And the Spirit will testify to that truth. He will take the truth and convince the world that Jesus is the Word truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way without him. There's no truth without him. And without him, there's no life. I came across this quote about the Holy Spirit, too. It says this, the Spirit's work is always attached to the death and resurrection of Jesus and belief in Jesus. The work, the Spirit's, I just, it's so good. The Spirit's work is always attached to the death and resurrection of Jesus and belief in Jesus. The work of the Spirit, oh boy, there we go. The work of the Spirit continues the work that Jesus started on the cross. That's what the Spirit does. The work of the Spirit and Jesus on the cross are one and the same. Now that quote is from another great book that I came across, Uh, it it came out in June of 2020 from Greg Allison and Andreas Kostenberger called The Holy Spirit, pretty straightforward. Um, But it is a little more of an academic book. It's like 500 pages. So think of it as a good resource, but you could read it in chunks. But man, this was encouraging to me as I read it uh, these last few weeks. If you wanna know more about who the Holy Spirit is and dig way deeper into this, uh, that would be an amazing place to start. So one question we could ask here is, why should the world listen? Why should I listen? In other words, what does the Spirit have to offer the world today? And this is pulled right from his book. There's a long list, but I'm just going to pull four of them. What does the Spirit have to offer the world today? One, they say, the virtues of humility and deference to others. As the Spirit stirs up meekness, and fosters submission. I think our world could use more virtue of humility and deference to others. Second, they say, the Spirit has to offer an others-centered life oriented to a pursuing love for and sacrificial service to those around us. Man, we need more of that. Third thing they say is the Spirit offers a grounded hope Think about that, a grounded hope. Faith, not in faith itself, but faith in another, as the Holy Spirit renders the presence of the triune God. I love the way they worded that, the Spirit renders the presence of the triune God. Last thing from there is the Spirit offers unity in diversity. As the Spirit unites men and women, old and young, rich and poor, and much more in the church. We need the Spirit. The world needs the Spirit. Lord, give us your Spirit. Remember, church, that the context for all this work by the Spirit is obedience to the commandment of Jesus to love others as he has loved us. We covered that a, a few weeks ago. And if that sounds like a lot to you, to, to love others like Jesus loved others, and this whole list of all the things that the Spirit gives us, if that sounds like a lot, it's because it is. In fact, you could say it's an impossible task. How in the world can I love others like Jesus loved me? You've got to be kidding me. But there's good news for us today. Let's read verse 15, our last verse for this morning. All that the Father has is mine, Jesus says. Therefore I said that he, the Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. So now let's ask, church, what did Jesus have of the Father's? Jesus has the Father's power, truth. His mission, his life, his love. Jesus is described as being close to the heart of the Father. And he has the love of God that we so desperately need. This is what Romans 5.5 5 says. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. The good news for us, church, is that we have a helper for this task to love. God's spirit is in the hearts of Christians in the world. God's given us everything we need to fulfill his commandment, to love others sacrificially as he has loved us. God's love, secured at the cross of Christ, is poured into us at the sending of his very spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your love. Your love that Jesus is described as being near to, near to the heart of the Father. God, when we practice faith in you, we are drawing near to your heart, Jesus, reclining on your chest as you recline on the Father. Thank you, God, for bringing us into that love. We pray, God, again, that your spirit would be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to move into a time of response. I'll just say, too, because it seems important here, if if this work of the spirit is foreign to you, um, if it's something that sounds exciting to you and you've not um, expressed your belief in God, your need for him, and your belief in him, now would be, today would be a a great time to do that. And in that moment of salvation, God's spirit, just like Romans 5.5 says, God's spirit will be poured into you. You will start a new journey looking more and more like Jesus. So if that is you and you want that, We will have deacons and pastors standing on on the side of the stage during this time. Or after the service, we would love to pray with you. And that's that's all we're going to do is say a simple prayer with you. Now's the time, too, where you can take communion. And we do that by coming up the center aisle when you're ready, grabbing the cup, and making your way back to your seat. One beautiful thing about taking communion together as a church is just that we come forward and we remember the body of Jesus that was broken, symbolized by that little cracker, the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you, symbolized by that juice. And we take that together as a community. What a beautiful time to consider, take a moment and consider our sin, our need for Jesus, our sin that caused this horrific death of Christ on the cross. And when we do that, what we receive is not condemnation, but freedom and love and grace, all these things that we need in Christ. So let's take some time to respond to the love of God in this moment, and then uh, we'll come back up to do the benediction after we sing.
2: Thank you for being here and worshiping with us this morning. I'm going to read our benediction as we go from 2 Corinthians. This is how Paul finishes his letter. um, And I pray this might be something that forms us as we go into our week. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for resurrection, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss all the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.